Proverbs, we find the foundational verse, and then what we do is we look at the chapters before it and after, and we bring all these points together here as we go through this. So we're getting really close to the end of Proverbs. Proverbs has 31 chapters, and we're going to be doing a lot of verses in 29 this morning. And remember the purpose of the book of Proverbs. The purpose of the book of Proverbs is application. It's practical, daily Christian living. It's not deep on theology. It's not deep on this idea of end times. What it is deep on is how to go out there and practically apply this and live the life. That's what the focus here of the book of Proverbs is about. And I hope you're as blessed by this as I am. So let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, good to be here this morning. Thankful to be here this morning. Um, Lord, be with all things. Grant us words, wisdom, knowledge, understanding of what you want us to know and what you want us to go through with this. You teach, we listen, let your Holy Spirit lead, guide, and direct. Grant us that words of wisdom, word of knowledge, and application to this. In your name, amen. So Proverbs 28, 26 is our foundational verse here this morning. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. See the flip side of the coin there. This, this is Hebrew poetry. Hebrew poetry is not like what we think of poetry. We think of poetry, we think of words that rhyme. That, that's not what this is. Hebrew poetry likes to, in a proverb, present two sides of, to this coin so you can see both sides of it. And so you see the one side of trusting your own heart, which leads to foolishness, and the other side is walking wisely, which being delivered. That's what we're going to build off today. These two points. So the first one here, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Trusting in your own heart. This is a little phrase we like to throw around a lot today. You hear little things like this, follow your heart. It just feels right. I know in my heart this is what I'm supposed to do. Folks, that's dangerous. And the reason that's dangerous is because the Bible presents a completely different attitude about your heart than what we do. So we have to now talk about what the Bible says about our heart versus what we just think and feel. So let's talk about this for a second. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going through the book of Jeremiah for devotions. And Jeremiah builds up about the heart. Just listen to these verses out of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 11, 8. Yet they did not obey or incline their ear, but everyone followed the dictates of his evil heart. First thing you see there is people following their evil heart. Not follow your heart. It just feels right. I know in my heart. No, my heart is evil. Jeremiah 16, 12. And you have done worse than your fathers before hold. Each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart. We're following this. Now you may stop and say, okay, well, James, that's pretty hard. My heart is not evil. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I alone know the heart. So not only is the heart evil, and not only is the heart wicked, the heart is also deceitful. The heart deceives me. My heart deceives me. What I think is right, what I feel is right, sometimes does not line up with the Bible, and guess who's wrong at that moment? But the problem is I've so convinced myself that this is what feels good, this is what feels right, and therefore it must be right. Part of being a Christian is learning to die to what I think and feel in my heart and say if the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. If the Bible says it's right, it's right. And the problem is the struggle I have is when I start wanting to do something that's not in line with the Bible and I'm convincing myself that my path is right. At that point, I have to remember Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful. 
My own heart will deceive me based on thoughts, feelings, and emotions, and I have to die to that. One of the things I pray for every week is to say, Lord, let me act biblical in unbiblical situations. Lord, let me, when the situation is getting out of hand and emotional, let me remain calm because my flesh wants to get worked up just like everybody else's flesh. I want to sometimes be unbiblical just like everybody else wants to be unbiblical. And I have to constantly remind myself to stop and say, no, I can't follow my heart. It is deceitfully wicked. And sometimes what I feel is right, what I think is right, is not right because it does not line up with the Bible in any way whatsoever. That's a hard thing to die to. But what I believe in my heart reveals who I am. Take a look at Proverbs 27, verse 19. As in water, face reflects face, so a man's heart reveals the man. My heart reveals who I am. What's important to me? Is it me or is it God? Because in Matthew 22, the Lord told me to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what I've come to the conclusion to is this. A lot of times in life, I don't want to die to myself and I'm just selfish. This is what I want to do. This is what feels good to me. So therefore, I'm going to do it. I have to learn to sometimes take the emotion out of the situation. I have to take my thoughts and feelings out of the situation. And I have to stop and say, Lord, what do you want? What does your word say is right? What are you leading me to do? Boy, that's difficult to do. Sounds very unloving, doesn't it? But it's actually very loving. Because if I love the Lord with all my heart, I want what His way is more than anything else. I want what His Word says more than anything else. And we have to learn to let go sometimes of what we think and feel. I do this a lot when it comes to premarital counseling. I've shared this with you before. I ask set-up questions in premarital counseling. And I tell people right from the beginning, I'm setting you up. And I tell you right from the beginning, I'm writing down everything you say, and I'm going to use it against you later on. So as long as we have this out in the open now, set up questions that I'll use against you later on. Now let's have fun. And what I ask him is this, why are you getting married? And I usually get these, these great answers. Getting married because I've never met anybody like him. Getting married because I've never met anybody like her. He makes me feel special like I've never felt. I'm getting married because she is just so beautiful. She's so wonderful. She's so nice. She laughs at all my jokes and all these great reasons. And I sit down and write this down and say, oh, isn't that sweet? And I stop and at the end and I say, okay, so this this is what you said. You're getting married because he's never made you feel this good. Uh, She laughs at all your jokes. She's pretty. She's nice, whatever. I say, okay, so what happens when you get up one day and she's ugly? Do you still want to be married to her? Oh, she'll never wake up ugly. Yeah, she will. She will. Dawn never has, but your wife will. So what happens when she doesn't laugh at your jokes? Oh, she always finds me funny. She won't. (laughs) Now that one I know for a fact is true. She won't find you funny. But he always treats me so nice, but one day he won't. She's she's always so supportive. Yeah, but one day she's not going to be. What are you going to do? See, I have to let go of my thoughts, feelings, and heart, and emotion at the time and realize I made a covenant relationship with God. And I need to stop at that moment and say, my heart says one thing, but God's word says another at this moment. And I can't follow my heart. I can't say it just feels right. And I can't say I know in my heart because the heart is evil, wicked, and it's deceitful. And I have to learn to sometimes ignore my heart. Because if I trust my heart, look at Proverbs 28, 26 one more time, I'm a fool. 
That's a strong word. If you weren't with us a few weeks ago, we did a study on what the word fool means in the book of Proverbs. That's a strong word to be called a fool. So what are we supposed to do then? Look at the second part of 26. Whoever walks wisely will be delivered. So Lord, don't trust my heart. That makes me a fool. Walk wisely. Okay, how do I walk wisely? Let's go to Psalm 1, please. Psalm 1. Psalm 1. I have to learn to let go of what I think and stop and say, Lord, what is it that you think? Psalm 1. You know, Proverbs talks about this a lot, and I'll just hit these verses quickly because we've covered them a lot. Speaking of the idea of a fool and following what we think, Proverbs 12, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who heeds counsel is wise. Proverbs 14, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs 16, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end of its way is death. Proverbs 21, every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. You catch the theme there? The fool thinks he's right. Man thinks they're right, but it leads to death. And the Lord says, I know what's right. We have to be careful with that idea of trusting what we think is right. We have to stick to the Lord. Take a look here at Psalm 1, verse 1. Using that tie-in now of the word walking. Whoever trusts in the Lord walks wisely. Psalm 1, 1. Blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Look at the progression there. We go from walking to standing to sitting. That's dangerous. All of a sudden, we were just walking in ungodliness. Now we're flat out sitting in it. Why? Because we're not listening to the Lord. Take a look at two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. I need to be in the Word because the Word is light, the Word is truth, the Word guides me. I cannot let my heart guide me. We have established in Jeremiah, my heart is wicked, my heart is evil, and my heart is deceitful. I will lead myself down a path that is unbiblical, and I'll do it with confidence because I've convinced myself it's right. I have to back up and do verse 2. I have to meditate in the law day and night. Does that mean I never take my face out of the Bible? No. It means whatever situation I am, I'm always thinking, how can I handle this biblically? I'm always chewing on what does this look like to glorify you, Lord? How would this glorify you in all ways and all things? What's the result of that? Verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Look at that. When I'm planted in God and his word and in worship and the Holy Spirit and ministry, I bring forth fruit and I don't wither. Do you see how many Christians are withering? They're just drying up right in front of us. Why? They haven't planted themselves by the rivers of water. They're out there doing it on their own. No fruit comes out of that. Can you go with me now to Jeremiah, please, 17? I'm going to take these two points in time together to make the final point of this section. We've talked about my heart is wicked, evil, and deceitful, and I can't trust it. I'm a fool if I do. That I need to walk in the counsel of God and walk in the counsel of His Word and let Him lead me, guide me, direct me, and that's when I'll be fruitful. Jeremiah 17 now brings these two points together. Look at Jeremiah 17, starting verse 5 with me. 
Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Wow. And makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. There's our word. Our heart is not with the Lord. Our heart is leading us down a path of wickedness, evilness, and deceitfulness. Verse 6, For he shall be like a shrub in the desert, shall not see when good comes. He shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness and a salt land which is not inhabited. So in Psalm 1, we're withering up. Here in verse 6, we're like a shrub in the desert. We're a parched land. We're dried up. Have you ever been dry spiritually? It's awful. You don't want to be at church. You don't want to be around other Christians. You get nothing out of the worship. The teaching is boring. You reluctantly do devotions. It's just dry. Things aren't flowing. There's a reason why the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is referred to as oil symbolically. Oil keeps things fresh. Oil keeps things flowing. That's why it says in Psalms that we're supposed to refresh ourselves in the oil and the Holy Spirit. Think about this from just a mechanical standpoint. Running an engine without oil is going to cause problems. I know this for a fact. I remember years ago, I, uh, my brother-in-law Jason let me borrow one of his generators. And we got it in the middle of the winter because it looked like we were going to lose power because of stuff. He goes, I'll just take it home. He goes, just remember to check the oil before you turn it on. Thankfully, we didn't lose power. Fast forward, I don't know, maybe half a year later that summer, the next summer, whatever it is. Actually, Jason's looking at me through the window out there. Um, And so I plugged the generator in. We lost power, plugged it in. It's running fine. So, okay, I'm going to go get the extension cords now because everything. I hear this boom, this explosion. The generator blew up. Why? Oh, Jason did say, check the oil. Makes a bit of a difference. Fast forward to this summer. I got this weird thing with my lawn. If I start my lawn being mowed, I got to get it done. I hate a half mowed yard. So starting to mow and I realize I have an oil leak in my uh, lawnmower. The oil leak is sometimes kind of bad. So what do I do? About every 10 minutes, I'm dumping a half a quarter oil on it. I'm going to get it. I know. I don't know what I'm doing. But I did it. And the yard's mowed. I just kept dumping oil. The oil kept it going. Here's the deal, folks. There is the oil of the Holy Spirit in your life. It keeps you going. It keeps you flowing. And it's through the Word. It's through worship, ministry, service. You know all these things. If you step away from that, you're going to be parched. You're going to wither. You're going to be dry. That's the reality of it. Look at verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. I will be fruitful. I will be spreading out roots. I will be green because I'm connected to the Lord. Now, what does this have to do with the heart being evil and wicked and deceitful? Now look at 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. There's a reason why these verses are together. It shows you both sides. Trust your heart. It just feels right. I know in my heart. It's going to dry you up spiritually. You're running a machine without oil. Or I can accept the fact my heart is deceitful and wicked. Who can know it? I have to trust you, Lord, and I do what you say. Verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in the Lord, and the fruit comes out of that. So our first point here, our foundational point of this message is this. To trust in my heart is foolishness. But to walk wisely in the Lord is when I'm going to be delivered. For him and for his glory. What does this look like now then? 
jump back to Proverbs 27, please. I need to let go of my thoughts as I read to you earlier the verses from Proverbs. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who eats counsel is wise. Go back to the very famous verse that we quote all the time, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll direct your paths. Now, but now break that down with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. We covered that in Matthew 22. Lean not on your own understanding. Problem is, I lean on my own understanding. I want to plan things. We just did a whole lesson last week on not planning things. God is sovereign. I am not. I trust him. But then I get to Proverbs 27, 12. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple pass on are punished. So I get to Proverbs 27, 12, and it's telling me I'm supposed to have a bit of a plan here. I foresee evil and hide myself. So what is it, Lord? Not plan stuff, as it says in James, or to plan stuff here in verse 12. We're talking about two different types of planning, folks. The one last week was planning your life. The one last week was you making decisions on what you think is good and right and saying, Lord, bless this. This is stopping and saying, God has given me a brain and wisdom. I foresee evil coming. I should do something. Hide himself. Hide himself does not mean hide in fear. Some of your translations say take precautions. If we see that there is a tornado coming, we take precautions. We foresee evil coming. If there's a snowstorm coming, we're going to get 12 inches. We foresee evil coming and we take precautions. It's not fear, it's being prepared. The Lord is telling me, I need to get ready. I need to foresee things and be prepared. I need to plan for that. Not planning my future out, Lord, but planning to do what? I plan every day to be a man of prayer. I plan to be a man of the word, a man of integrity, a man of worship. I plan to spend my mornings with the Lord. I plan to spend my evenings with the Lord. I plan to be at Wednesday church, Sunday Bible study. I plan to be at small group studies, and I plan to share the gospel, and I plan to worship the Lord. I plan to do these things. Because if I don't, I'm foreseeing evil, and I'm going to get in trouble. I'm asking you right now, be a prudent man. Prudent is a word we don't use a lot just doesn't sound right. It sounds very archaic, but prudent means wisdom in action. It is a wise thing to plan ahead in the Lord to say, it goes better when I'm a man or woman of prayer, the word and worship, integrity and ministry and service. It just goes better. Guess what? I'm a man planted by the river of life and water and I'm green and flourishing. It just goes better. The problem is the flip side of verse 12, the simple pass on and are punished. To see these problems come and not do anything about it, it shows you're simple-minded. You foresee evil, you take precautions. So what precautions should we take if I see foresee evil and I hide myself? Well, this is kind of an unmanly point, but it's biblical. Sometimes the best way to handle evil, sometimes the best way to handle problems coming is just to get up and as quick as you possibly can run. See, I didn't used to think that. I used to think the biblical response was I was supposed to be strong enough to stand. A lot of times God tells me, just run. If you have a problem with drinking, don't walk down that one aisle at Walmart. There's no reason to go down that. If you have a problem looking at stuff online late at night you shouldn't be looking at, guess what? Get a filter, shut your computer off, run. If there's a problem with that girl, then keep your distance from her. Flee. This is biblical. Just listen to these verses here. 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee sexual morality. 
That's pretty straightforward. Hey, something sexually immoral is about to happen. I'm going to run. That's what Joseph did. Run. How about 1 Corinthians 10, 14? Flee from idolatry. That's a pretty good thing. I'm letting this thing become an idol to my life. I need to run. Run from sexual morality. Run from idolatry. 2 Timothy 2.22 Flee youthful lust. Flee from the stupidity of youth. Flee. Run from it. 1 Timothy 6 Flee these things, these negative things, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Sometimes the most manly thing you can do is pick up and run right out of there. And that's godly and that's biblical. There's other times you need to stand and fight. Proverbs 28, verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Okay, what, what am I supposed to do with this? I'm supposed to flee, but now according to Proverbs 28, 1, if I flee, I'm wicked. No, understand the passages. 12 of 27. Foresee evil and realize sometimes the best advice is just to get out of there. Proverbs 28, 1. Sometimes realize that you have to be bold as a lion and take a stand. They're not contradictory. Each situation is unique. Well, how am I supposed to know if I'm supposed to flee or fight? That's why you get up every morning and pray. That's why you're in the Word. That's why you're seeking Him regularly. Because when the situation pops up and the situation is emotional, and the situation is supercharged, you can't stop right then and say, Hey, guys, i got to take an hour here and fast. Come back in an hour and let me pray about this and I'll tell you what I'm supposed to do. No, I have to be prayed up and ready before the situation happens to know whether to flee or fight in an instant. The Holy Spirit will lead and guide. Let's look at some biblical examples of this. Let's take the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was not a wimp in any way whatsoever. But there's examples of him in the book of Acts of him being let down over the wall and escaping at night. There's times where he fled. There's also times where the Apostle Paul was being ready to let go, and he says, I'm not going until you bring the Roman leaders here, and they publicly tell me they're sorry. I'm going to fight this. There's times where Jesus himself was getting ready to be tossed over the cliff, and the Bible says he just walked away from him. He left. Then there's other times where Jesus said, no, I'm standing right here, and I'm going to take this beating and this punishment, and I'm not running from anything. There's times to flee, and there's times to fight. And you spend time in prayer to know which one. Certain temptations and certain sins, you just run from, folks. You foresee the evil coming, and you run. And that's biblical. And there's other times where you realize, if I flee right now, I'm being wicked. I need to be bold as a lion and fight. The wicked flee for no one pursues quick funny story about this. I like to run. I've mentioned that before. I enjoy it. My wife hates running. It's one of the worst things you can do to her. She has a shirt that says running late is my cardio. That's what she has. If she's ever out running, sometimes I'll stop the boys and I'll say, boys, take a look. That's one of the rarest sights you'll see in all of God's creation is your mother running. She was talking to someone out here at church one time. That she was talking about how much she hates running. And this person quoted very quickly Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no one pursues. If no one's chasing you, why are you running? You must be wicked, right? No. But there is this idea of why am I running when God's told me to fight? So is there a biblical example of somebody running when they're supposed to be taking a stand? You bet there is. And as soon as I tell you what book to turn to, you know who I'm talking about. Can you go to the book of Jonah, please? Jonah's a tough book to find. It's between the books of Obadiah and Micah. You may be saying, well, that doesn't help me. Where's Obadiah? Obadiah is right by Jonah. See how that works? 
Jonah is a great book as you're going to the book of Jonah. It's only four chapters long, but it's one of the best teaching books in the Bible because it is so simple to teach. If you are praying about becoming a teacher, if you feel the Lord is calling you to teach, the book of Jonah is a great place to start. It's only four chapters long, and each chapter is its own point. Chapter 1, Jonah runs. Chapter 2, he's in a big fish. Chapter 3, he spit out and he fulfills his mission. Chapter 4, his heart's still not right and God's working with him. It's just a great book. Simple, straightforward. But we're talking about the wicked fleeing when no one's pursuing them. What are they running from? If no one's pursuing them, what are they running from? I think they're running from God. I think they're running from the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I remember years ago, Don and I were at the Ottawa Walmart. This was before kids. And we were having a disagreement on something, and I can't remember what it was, but it was one of those disagreements that you have in public where you really don't have an argument because you can't, you're in public. But we were disagreeing about something. And so we were in Walmart, we weren't seeing eye to eye. And then a couple of days later, I run into somebody from church, and they said, hey, ran into, I saw you and Dawn at Walmart the other day. First thing I thought of was, oh boy. It's like, did you see us standing in front of the oatmeal? <laughs> you know, what did you see? Because my heart is immediately guilty, convicted, what have you. I assumed I did something wrong. I, I see this a lot, folks. I'm not thinking of any individual when I say this, so don't think I'm thinking about that. This is what I've learned over 20 years of doing this out here. Somebody quits coming to church sometimes, and you're like, hey, contact them, miss you, I haven't seen you in a while, how's it going? You get through kind of the junk a little bit there, and I just see a church, uh, yeah, I'm just not doing the church thing right now, I'm not, I'm not going to be out there. Why aren't you coming out? Well, I know everyone's talking about me out there. No, they're not. No, they're not. Well, I walk in there, and everybody's looking at me, no, they're not. You're not that important. And I don't mean that insulting. People aren't thinking about you as much as you think they're thinking about you. What it is is what? We're running from God. See, this is what's going on with Jonah 1. Take a look here at Jonah 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amati, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Just look how simple and straightforward that is. Okay, remember when Jesus in the New Testament said, it's good for you that I leave, because when I leave, you get the comfort, you get the Holy Spirit, and, and it's a wonderful blessing. God never leaves us, never forsakes us. Our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. I, every now and then I have somebody come and say, oh, I don't understand that verse. Wouldn't it be better for Jesus to still be here in the flesh? No, because then we wouldn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So if Jesus is here in the flesh on earth, that means one person can talk to him at one time. So Jesus is over in Jerusalem. There's 7 billion people in the world. 3 billion want to kill him, and the other 3 billion want to talk to him. You're never going to get a chance to talk to him. Jesus leaves, gives us the Holy Spirit. We now have direct access to God. We can boldly go to the throne of grace, and the Holy Spirit is with us and leads us and guides us everywhere we go at all the time. It's a much better deal. But I read Jonah 1, verse 2, and then sometimes in my flesh I say, wow, I wish it was that straightforward. Then I just get up one day, and God says, James, arise, go to Nineveh that great city, cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. It is clear, it's straightforward, it's verbal, I got it. Wouldn't it be great if it was that simple? Would we ever disobey God if there was the audible voice of the Lord literally leading us and guiding us? Well, take a look at three. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Yeah, we would still run. 
because my heart doesn't want it. The heart is deceitfully wicked. Think back to Cain and Abel. We have this tendency to think back to the story of Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. You remember that from uh, Genesis chapter 4 there. But we forget this little point about the story about Cain versus Abel. After Cain kills Abel, who does Cain talk to? You remember? Talks to God. That's the relationship Cain had with God. God shows up. Cain, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? Can you imagine having that much of a relationship with God? It wasn't a big deal that God showed up and just wanted to talk to you? Cain had that relationship with God and would still do cold-blooded murder. Jonah had the relationship with God that God would speak to him and say where to go, and Jonah still decides to flee. The heart is deceitfully wicked. He doesn't just flee, verse 3. He's trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. So he's supposed to go to Nineveh, and he wants to go to Tarshish. If you've got a map in the back of your Bible and your board, you can go back and look at it. Find Nineveh, find Joppa, find Tarshish, and you're going to find that Tarshish and Nineveh are about as far apart as you can. If God tells me to go to New York City and I decide to go to San Francisco, that's what we're talking about. I'm going to go the opposite direction as far as I possibly can. The wicked flee when no one pursues. Who's chasing Jonah right now? No one. God's chasing him. I've come to the conclusion that most of the time when I'm running and fleeing, it's because God's chasing me, no one else. I just don't want to do it. Because why? My heart is deceitfully evil and wicked. Oh, Lord, forgive us for our hearts. Help us to have a heart that loves the Lord with all of our mind, our soul, our strength. Loves the Lord with everything. Oh, help us to be a tree planted by the water, getting its strength from that river in the word and ministry and prayer through the Holy Spirit, being fruitful and green and lush, not withering, not drying out but being this person that God has called us to be. That's what we need to pray for. Worship team will come forward here for the final song.